Great, good morning. Please do keep that passage open. That will be really helpful. Page 1023. Shall we pray as we look at this? Lord God, we do thank you for uh, your word. Uh, Please would you speak to us uh, this morning by your spirit through it uh, that we may be changed people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it's been many, many months, I think. And we are finally at the end of Mark's uh, Gospel. I think it's been a great uh, journey through the Gospel. Mark's Gospel is a thriller Gospel, uh, I think. A Gospel of action. It's, it's half the size of uh, Matthew's Gospel. Uh, it has half the parables of Jesus, but records every single miracle uh, of Jesus. It is d- direct in your face uh, the whole time. 41 times Mark uses the word immediately. Immediately. There's a sense of urgency about all uh, that Jesus is doing. And one of the main themes of Mark's Gospel uh, is this. If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you will stay close to Jesus. If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you'll stay close uh, to Jesus. Jesus says, doesn't he, in Mark 8, the pivotal uh, pivot chapter in, in the Gospel, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Yeah, as Mark's gospel draws uh, to a close, the crowd around Jesus, it starts to thin out. Uh, the hangers-on, the kind of the curious, they just uh, disperse, and finally we're left with just the 12 disciples uh, and some women. And by the end of chapter 14, Jesus is alone before the high priest. Even Peter, he is outside uh, in the courtyard. There's distance between him uh, and Jesus. In our passage today, we've got the, the final sandwich of Mark's uh, gospel. You know what sandwiches, bread, filling, bread. Uh, and nine times in his gospel, Mark uses a sandwich as a literary device to teach us something about what it means to be a disciple uh, of Jesus Christ. He starts a story, he interrupts it, uh, and then he goes back uh, to the original Story And in doing so, he wants to draw our attention to the filling, the filling in the sandwich, to teach us something about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So here in this final sandwich, we've got the women, slice one, we've got Joseph of Arimathea, the filling, and then we come back to the women, uh, slice two. So what point is Mark uh, trying to teach us about Christian discipleship here. Well, let's look at it uh, in a bit more detail together. Let's look at the first slice. So slice one, verses 40 and 41 of chapter 15. Some women, they'd come up uh, to Jerusalem with Jesus. These are women who cared for Jesus, looked after his needs uh, during his ministry, and they'd watched as Jesus was crucified. Do you note that Mark is careful to name-check Uh, the women for us. So there's Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, probably the mother of Zebedee's sons, James and John. And do you see the detail that Mark includes in verse 40? They were watching from a distance. Watching from a distance. These women who had known Jesus, supported him with their resources, they watched from a distance. Jesus is alone as he hangs on the cross. 
That is the first slice. What about the filling? Look at verses 42 to 47. The scene switches, doesn't it, in verse 42. And in these six verses, we've got Mark describe the burial uh, of Jesus. And Joseph of Arimathea, he takes centre stage uh, at this point. It's worth remembering that the body of a criminal who'd been crucified for treason, which was what happened with Jesus, it belonged uh, to Rome. And the Romans typically left left the body on a cross for days as an example to to deter others. And after that, it would just be put into an unmarked grave. But the Jews, well, they respected the body. We're told in uh, Deuteronomy 21 that the body that stays on the tree overnight is cursed by God. So it was important for them that the body came down uh, from the cross. So Joseph of Arimathea arrives. He appears. He's respected. This guy is respected, wealthy. He's a member of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council. He's He's a big cheese important guy. And we know from Luke's gospel that he hadn't consented to the death of Jesus. And look what we're told in verse 43. I think this is the key verse of this section. Verse 43. Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. The little details we have here, they're not in the other Gospels. And so if Mark includes some details, we think, well, you know, take note. Something important here. Joseph was waiting for the kingdom of God. And boldly, courageously, he goes to Pilate and asks for the body of a treasonous enemy of Rome. Big thing. Just note, do you see that Mark wants us to get that Jesus is dead? Do you see that? Joseph believes he's dead. That's why he asks for the body. Back in verse 39, we're told the centurion stood in front of Jesus and saw how he died. Pilate is surprised that Jesus is already dead, summons the centurion, but he confirms it's true. Verse 44. So Pilate gave the body to Joseph and look at his actions in verse 46. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took the body down, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in the tomb, cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Standard burial procedure, but Joseph would surely have checked that Jesus was dead. It's probably the first thing you'd do after being given the body. You're not going to wrap and bury someone you admired, perhaps even loved, without uh, checking that. Jesus is dead and buried, literally. And you see, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Joseph, witnessed the burial, verse 47. For the second time, what does Mark do? He name-checks these women witnesses for us. Joseph is the, the filling in this sandwich. So what about the second slice? Chapter 16, verses 1 to 8 What happens here? Well, the women, they reappear early on the day after the Sabbath. They've come to anoint the body of Jesus with spices. And Mark is nothing if not succinct in his gospel. He never wastes words. But do you see that for the third time, 
Mark name-checks the women in verse 1. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome. We probably know, don't we, that women in the first century were not highly regarded. Their testimony in court was discounted as um, unreliable. Yet these women, they are the primary witnesses uh, to what God has done. The primary witnesses to the pivotal event in history. That Jesus died, was buried, and was raised. Isn't that brilliant? You would not make this stuff up. The facts, Jesus Christ was dead, buried, and rose again. Just note there's no wishful thinking, is there, on the part of the women. They went to the tomb expecting Jesus to be dead. They've got the spices to anoint the body. They believed the tomb would be intact. Who will roll away the stone, the large stone, we're told, from the entrance of the tomb? Yet look what they find in verse 4. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Momentous, angelic announcement. And so we have the great punchline, don't we? The ending, filled with joy and wonder, the women go out and they tell. Except they don't. Verse 7, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. What an anticlimax, don't you think? It's like watching a brilliant film, only to find it has a rubbish ending. At the beginning of Mark's Gospel, Jesus heals a leper, commands the healed man not to say anything, yet the man can't help but speak. Here, after the greatest miracle of all, an angel instructs the women to go and tell, but they say nothing because they are afraid. Irony. That is probably why some in the early church thought that Mark hadn't finished his Gospel or that the last bit of the scroll got torn off. Uh, and lost. Surely this can't be the end of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Where's the closure? It's just not uplifting enough. It's got to be different to this. So it seems that some early scribes, they, they added verses 9 to 20, the happy ending, the right ending, the, the ending that summarizes the other parts of the gospels, but different in language and style uh, to Mark's gospel. It is understandable. We want it to be different. But it isn't Mark's ending. So we've got to grapple with this awkward conclusion. What is Mark doing here? Mark wants, I think, to draw attention to the filling in the sandwich. The women watched the events of the cross from a distance. Trembling and bewildered, they fled from the empty tomb, said nothing because they were afraid. What does Mark say about Joseph? Verse 43. He was waiting for the kingdom of God. And he went boldly to Pilate 
to ask for the body of Jesus. At at the end of his gospel, Mark wants us to make the step of faith. He wants us to make that step. And the point Mark is making is this. Don't allow fear to distance you from Jesus. Don't allow fear to distance you from Jesus. Someone once said this, well-known words, if Christianity is not true, it is of no importance. If Christianity is true, it is of infinite importance. What it cannot be is of moderate importance. Joseph knew something of that. He was looking for the kingdom of God and he went boldly to Pilate to ask for the body of Jesus. He shows, he declares his commitment uh, to Jesus. Mark's gospel begins in chapter 1 by declaring this is the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It draws to a conclusion in verse 39 of chapter 15 with a declaration by the centurion, surely this man was the Son of God. In the middle of the Gospel, Peter, in chapter 8, declares, you are the Christ. At the baptism of Jesus, God says in a voice from heaven, you are my Son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Joseph got it. He was waiting for the kingdom of God, and he went boldly, courageously, at some risk, to Pilate. There's something that a man called C.T. Studd got. You may have heard about C.T. Studd, an England cricketer in the early 20th century, late 19th century, played the first Ashes test for England when the the bales got burnt. A wealthy and educated man, an establishment man. A man who had everything, but he gave away wealth, faced ridicule, went as a missionary to China, to India, to Africa the founder of a great missionary organisation, he wrote this. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Something that the German uh, theologian Bonhoeffer knew, wasn't it? Again, very well-known words that he once said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Words that took on a literal meaning for Bonhoeffer at the hands of the Nazis. I wonder, have we got it? Have we got it? I think so often our courage as Christians, it just goes AWOL. Our resolve to stand for Christ, it breaks down. Mark knew that. Mark knew about human weakness. It's natural. It's understandable. We'd be in good company. It happened to Peter. Peter who declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Yet who ended up where? Outside in the courtyard. Denying Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. Mark wants to encourage us here. Joseph, a man who is waiting for the kingdom of God, who went boldly and courageously to Pilate, who identified with Jesus at the time when he seemed nothing like a king, when he was dead. It would have been hard for him to go to Pilate, but Joseph was a man who at that moment wasn't concerned primarily with his reputation or his security, perhaps even 
at his life. He was a man waiting for the kingdom of God. And by his actions, he identified himself uh, as a follower of Jesus. What about you? Who, who do you identify with? A couple of years ago, we had a new trainee in my team at work. She came and went after the usual four-month uh, rotation. Uh, and shortly afterwards, shortly after she left, uh, we bumped into each other at a church uh, event, at another church in Norwich, which was surprising on both sides. Um, both Christians. Uh, yet during the four months that we'd worked together... Neither of us knew that. A slightly chilling moment for both of us, I think. We can so easily keep our distance from Jesus. Maintain that gap between the faith that we have and the rest of our life. Be silent. Be silent when we could and should speak. We convince ourselves that we're playing the long game with the relationship. Once we've developed that really strong friendship, that, well, yeah, then we can speak about Jesus. Yet somehow the relationship, it never seems to get deep enough. Or, or we frame our lack of courage as, as wisdom. It's just, it's just wiser to not upset friends, not upset family, not to, to disturb the status quo. It's, it, it's not sensible to threaten our own security. People depend on us just better to stay silent. That's the thing to do. There's always tomorrow, isn't there, that we think, just one more promotion, then I'll be free to speak, in a position to influence, able to give. Yet the promotions, they come and they go, and not much really changes. With the empty tomb, God could not have spoken, could he, any more loudly or clearly. Death is defeated. Jesus, God's son, led a perfect life. So when he died to pay the penalty, when he died, he paid the penalty for sin that you and I deserve. Our failure, our disobedience, it's dealt with. And he, his perfect life meant death couldn't hold him. And because of that, we can stand before God. And the resurrection is the guarantee that our guilt has been paid. We just need to put our trust in Jesus. Perhaps you're wondering this morning, well, is it, is it really worth it? Is it worth it? But why, why bother to stay close to Jesus, to follow him? The costs, they just seem too great. When it pan out, okay in the end. It is hard, isn't it? It was hard for a man like Joseph to go to Pilate. It was hard for Stephen as he preaches Christ crucified in Acts 7 and is stoned to death. It was hard for Bonhoeffer. It was hard for Peter. Mark knows it is hard to stay close to Jesus. It's what Jesus had taught. All men will hate you because of me, says Jesus in Mark 13. Yet what else does Jesus say? What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? We've just had the EU referendum. Big promises were made on both sides. Lots of passion and heat uh, was generated. Big promises made. Yet what other politician 
What other person offers what Jesus offers? No politician has ever said, vote for me and I will abolish death. Not even Boris said that. (laughs) Who else can say, I offer you life now and forever? Who else can say, I forgive every wrong thing that you've ever done or will ever do? That guilt is a word that need carry no weight, even as you fail time and again. What other person promises the gift of the Holy Spirit to empower us, to give us courage and boldness, to change us? No one else says, come to me and you will have citizenship of a kingdom which is real and eternal. These are promises that cannot be broken. They're rock solid. Why? Because they are guaranteed. They're warranted by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Is it worth it? Of course it is worth it. Studd also wrote this. He said this, Let us not glide through this world and then slip quietly into heaven without having blown the trumpet loud and long for our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Mark says, are you looking for the kingdom of God? Have you rejected being a distant disciple? Are you following Jesus more closely today than you were yesterday? The tomb is empty. God has spoken. Will we stay close to Jesus? Let's let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for, for Mark's gospel, for the, just the great uh, narrative it is of Jesus' life and ministry, the action, the urgency, uh, for Mark's deep insights uh, into your kingdom, into Jesus Christ. Lord, please would you open uh, our minds to it, open our hearts to it more deeply, that we may uh, go after Jesus Christ above all other things, that we would be people who would be able, free, in our hearts and our minds to speak uh, for him, because we know that it is worth it. Please would you help us by your Holy Spirit, give us courage, give us boldness to do that in the places that you've put us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.